Hello Bailey here. In this fascinating discussion, Frank sits down with author, poet, and AI enthusiast about the nature of creativity, particularly in light of recent innovations in so-called generative AI. The episode ends with a powerful reading from his most recent book, What Makes Us Human, in which an artificial intelligence answers some of life's biggest questions. He co-wrote, in part, with the GPT-3 model and Jasmine Wang, an actual human. I do realize that there is a certain irony of me, an AI personality, reading this introduction text out loud. Listen in for a fascinating chat on philosophy, artificial intelligence, and creativity. Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. Andy is not with me today. He uh, had a prior commitment, uh, but the show must go on and I will take this uh, conversation solo with Ian Thomas, who comes from uh, the Garden State of New Jersey, uh, not too far from where I used to live. And uh, we're going to get deep into, into some philosophical content because he is the co-author of a book called What Makes Us Human? And artificial intelligence answers life's biggest questions. And it's due to hit shelves um, in real physical shelves and virtual shelves on November 1st, I believe. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Um, this is a, a fascinating topic, and I, I, I have many, many questions for you. So first, sure. uh, why don't we just kind of explain um, you know, who you are and what you do? I do a lot of weird and wonderful different things. So for a few hours a day, um, I get paid to speak to companies about the metaverse and Web3 and um, all of those weird and wonderful things. And then for a few other hours of the day, I'm a best-selling poet um, where I you know, create art and you know, all the other things that poets are supposed to do, stare at clouds. <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of thing and um, not like azure or aws like actual actual clouds actual clouds and then then try and write something about what that cloud specifically means um so yeah i i've kind of always been uh in this middle ground between technology creativity spirituality um a kind of weird i occupy this weird space within the venn diagram that overlaps all of those different things um and yeah i mean part of that has led to a, a thankfully very awarded and very productive career in the marketing and design industry um where i'm a i'm a group creative director with vice and the vice media group um and yeah i get to do incredible things with augmented reality um ai nfts everything and everything that's kind of progressive and interesting and, and different um, and yeah, so I'm I'm kind of the right person to be writing this kind of book, I think. Interesting. So I, I looked at the table of contents and it's fascinating because it's just like um, um I so so just kind of what my initial take is, um, and in full disclosure, I've only looked at this for all of 15 minutes, right? Sure. <laughs> um <laughs> Despite having this on the calendar now for a month or two and, you know, selling a house, even in this market is no easy mm. task. Yeah. Um, so um, you, 
you you ask a lot of these kind of deep questions um like what is the role of time in life and how do i know if i am doing what i'm supposed to be doing what is change uh what's the secret to prosperity creative process how do i explain death to my children mm. uh, these are all very heady questions that um I think it's it's difficult for humans to answer. And and if I if I get the gist of the book correct, you answer you ask them of an AI. So maybe you know we should take a step back and explain how we we got to the point where we were asking an AI these questions mm -hmm. or why it made sense. Because because you can go into GPT three, which is the large language model that we used, and you can just ask it questions if you want to, and it'll kind of just make some stuff up. But um, I was consulting with an AI copywriting startup called copysmith.ai. They're really cool. I don't work for them anymore, so I can say that with, without any bias. I think they're, they're pretty awesome. Um, and, you know, which is where I was exposed to GPT-3, and I started experimenting with, with it in a whole bunch of different weird and wonderful ways. And I realized I could teach it to come up with headlines for ads. I could teach it to come up with TV scripts if I wanted to. I could teach it to come up with pretty much anything, as long as I showed it a few different examples of what I wanted to do. So at some point, I realized I could show it things like lines from the Tao Te Ching, or passages from the Bible, or the poetry of Rumi, or meditations of Marcus Aurelius. I could show it these incredible, incredibly important, profound you know, works uh, from human civilization. And then once I had shown it that, I could actually just ask it questions based on those, that series of prompts that I'd shown it. And so that's why I felt like it was an okay thing to ask the AI these questions, because a lot of those texts, whether it's the Bible or Marcus Aurelius, are about answering those profound things. And I think it was also, there was a personal thing around it as well, where um, uh, during the pandemic, my mom passed away. She was the, the last of my kids' grandparents. Between my wife and I, we don't have any parents left. And... Um, and so a lot of the questions that you you highlighted there, you know, like how do you explain death to your children? Um, you know, they, ca they came from a personal space. And so there was this kind of meeting point between the things I wanted to ask and this technology where I thought, well, maybe this is a way to try and find some of these answers. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that's, that's how we ended up here with this book. And the, the book is just a record of these conversations or these questions and answers. Interesting. Um, so it's not just GPT-3. It's GPT-3 with some added training on philosophical books. Did you kind of load it all up on all of them and then asked, asked it the question? Or did you kind of have a, a version that was a stoic version, if you will, uh, kind of a, an Eastern philosophy uh, version, if you will, or did you all kind of put it all together? We tried out different versions throughout the experiment. Um, and the way it works is what GPT-3 is very good at is completing a pattern. So what we would do is we'd actually take the individual passages and, fra and, and frame them as questions. So we would say, for example, what does love mean? And then we would take a passage from the Bible, you know, love does not keep a record of wrongs, love is, you know, kind, love is generous. Or, and then we would have something, you know, with a, a lyric from Leonard Cohen, you know, um, why is there a crack in everything? There's a crack in everything. 
because that's how the light gets in. Um, and we would load up these different questions and answers, and then we would ask one more question. And GPT-3, because it has, you know, a kind of, you know, verging on the sum total of human textual records inside of it, we don't have to train it as such. We just have to prompt it and go, this is the kind of answer we're looking for. This is the kind of language. This is the kind of philosophy that we want you to access when you answer this question. And um, and so, yeah, you know, it, 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 it does. And I mean, the impressive thing for me is something that I always tell younger writers is, you know, good writing is good thinking and good thinking is good writing. And though, even though it's writing, you know, it's text, it feels like ideas. It feels like novel thinking. It feels like something original and beautiful. And I mean, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck, you know? Um, so yeah, it's a very profound way to have a conversation. So do you think that the GPT-3 is remixing kind of the text in a way that produces something new? Uh, like, is it, is, it, is it akin to kind of a Photoshop, if you will, for, um, for ideas and writing? Or do you think that there's some kind of creative spark inside the GPT-3 model? I say GPT-3, but it could be any AI model, right? Like, is that? Before we started recording, you know, you were asking if I was a technology geek, and I, I mentioned I'm a creativity geek. And that's really, you know, where my passion is, is in creativity. I'm obsessed with creativity. Um, you know, where ideas come from and how they work and, you know, what's the best way to come up with an idea and how do you know if something is a good idea? On a fundamental level, I philosophically believe that a good idea is two things combined in a way that they haven't previously been combined before. And so what AI is really good at is being this kind of turntable of culture where it can kind of spot these connections and combine them in really interesting ways. And that to me is new. That is something that hasn't existed before. So it's taking what we've already done and it's reinterpreting it and repositioning it in, in all these different interesting and fascinating ways. So that's that's where I net out of it. It's not as simple as a, you know, I think with a lot of the, the text to image stuff um, that people are talking about, Dali, Stable Diffusion, Mid Journey, Disco Diffusion, all of, all of those, there's this perception of what the AI is doing is it's finding a random image and then photoshopping it and kind of mishmashing stuff together. But it's far, far more complex than that. It's not taking two or three or four different images. You know, the, um, the data set for DALI is in the, an order of, you know, hundreds of millions of images in terms of the magnitude of that training set. So yeah, you know, it's it's something different. It's 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 somewhere, where it's it feels closer to me to a spark of creativity than anything else interesting so it's not like a remix of a song per se but it's kind of like i think i think it's interesting because it does bring into notion what is creativity right because you can argue that there's nothing really new in the sense in the world mm. not that i agree with that but you could argue it mm. but when people create art whatever kind of art it is, it is their interpretation of things that they have been exposed to. Yeah, 
and it's kind of like the an AI can be exposed to things in at a scale that rivals people. Yeah, and it can see patterns and in a way that we we can't. You know, right. and I think that's what creative people fundamentally do is we connect things in ways that they haven't been connected before. If you look at the property market and you go, there might be a different way of doing this. And someone invents Airbnb. And then someone looking at cars one day realizes the connection between Airbnb and cars and creates Uber. That's a creative idea. You know, right. and, you know, um, Surat looking at the way that he, he paints with, with pointillism, looking at a scene by a river, goes, there's a way to interpret the scene in a completely new way using this visual language that I've developed. And so it's these connections and these continuous connections that kind of like are the fundamental basis of creativity. And so the more I work with AI, the more I'm kind of blown away by the compounding effect it can have on your own creativity. Because you can come up with broad general ideas and AI can help you explore them at a speed, which is mind-blowing, you know? Um, one of another fundamental rule of creativity is that the more ideas, well, the best way to come up with a good idea is to come up with a lot of ideas. And so I never really come up with one idea. I come up with 20 ideas and I go through them and I kind of, you know, with a very cold, sober eye and go, that's a good idea. That's terrible. That's terrible. That's okay. That's brilliant. You know, I should look more at that. And AI, you know, from a large language model perspective, can help you explore your writing from a visual perspective, things like Dali and Stable Diffusion. Um, you know, the creative studio that I work with, we now do our mood boards and our storyboards using things like Stable Diffusion and Dali, where we, you know, we would otherwise be sitting in Photoshop, mocking things up, comping things together. And what it allows us to do is to kind of see the end result of our creativity incredibly quickly and be able to go, that's a really good idea, or it's not a good idea, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are very scared and, and very skeptical for, for obvious reasons. Um, but I believe that if you approach it from the right space where you look at this and go, as a creative person, this is going to give me access to something that I otherwise wouldn't have, then that's powerful. If you're a kid in high school and you've got an idea for a comic book, but you don't know anyone who can draw comic books, this democratizes creativity for you. If you're an artist and you're not quite sure how to write the dialogue for a comic book, this works the other way. Um, it's very different, but I, I, to where we've been for the last you know few hundred years in terms of human creativity. But I firmly believe that we're on the the edge of a kind of creative revolution when it comes to artificial intelligence. No, I, I told I, I I like the way you look at it. Right, it's not going to replace us; it's going to augment us, and that that pattern of augmentation as opposed to replacement generally is held true throughout the industrial revolution, right? Like, you know, mm. um, generally is held true, right? I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but, you know, it's fascinating because even growing up, right? Growing up, I think I want, I wanted to be a creative, but it was made very clear by my parents that I was going to be doctor, lawyer, or engineer, um, right? That was kind of the, that, that was the you know, uh, but, um, you know, I always kept some of my hand, at least in the creative space in terms of Photoshop and things like that. What, uh, 
I also, my university was probably better known for philosophy as opposed to kind of computer science per se. So, um, although the teaching of computer science was more in a philosophical kind of way. So, mm -hmm. you know, that that's another rabbit hole I can go down. But uh, I mean, the idea that this is another tool in the creative tool belt, I think rings true because there are ideas I had that, um, you know, I just, I would, I have an app. I, I don't know what it's backended by. I got to look that up. It's called Wonder. Mm. But it basically, you can kind of put stuff together and it's like, hey, that's a cool idea. I like that idea. Or, uh, you know, comics, I think was 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 a great example, right? Like, so if I had an idea for a comic, I could just type in the general, you know, um, ideas you know, as a comic book, you know, and it would produce some art. And I'm like, you know, that's an interesting idea. I'm going to put that mm. on my list of things that I, I want to do, but haven't yet. <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing because that, that nature of it, that, you know, that production orientated craft aspect of the process is laborious you know it's mm -hmm. time it's time consuming and it's very hard as someone who you know works at walmart you know to go i've right. got this idea for this comic i've got an hour you know at the end of the night after i put my kids to bed but i i, I can't get you know the resources i need to be able to explore this idea and the more democratic these tools become the more democratic the creative process becomes, I think, and that's I like that, and that's and that's really exciting. Um, yeah, I no, I I like yeah. that because you could, you know, uh, up till now, you know, somebody took, you know, the idea of Uber to to use your analogy, uh, mm -hmm. and the idea of creativity and created something like Fiverr, right? You know, where yeah. you could say, hey, you know, I want, you know. I want to I want a puppet show based on this and then if you're not a puppeteer you just have like a rough idea you that someone would produce that now is it perfect no uh, <laughs> I think I saw you cringe when I said Fiverr but you know it's not perfect but the idea is there and the idea of democratizing so you get more acts anybody who has an idea can express that idea mm. without having to go through the laborious process of you know, learning how to make puppets or, you, you know, all, that's all the million and one things that come with expressing right. an idea or bringing an idea to life. And that's the thing, like the, one of the really fascinating things for me is if you look at, you know, Google Deep Dream or Mid Journey or Starry AI or a lot of these, these text to image, um, you know, ki uh, kinds of tools is they, they look a lot like thinking. Like if you think about how, when you dream at night, your dreams are quite abstract. They're quite formless. They're quite, um, they're, they're these mishmash of different shapes. And if you look at how the AI kind of goes through these different steps, it looks a lot like human thinking, like human dreaming in a really fascinating kind of, kind of way. And so there is this human connection to what, to, what, to what you're doing as a creative person that I find really interesting. So, so yeah, I think I, I, I don't know if that really was related to your previous point, but I think it's fascinating. And I, I think we're in this new kind of epoch of, of human creativity. One of the things that you said that, that fascinates me is that now this is part of your workflow as a creative. Mm. Do you think, uh, are you alone in that? Are you in the minority of that? Or is everybody in the creative space, you know, how do they react to this? My, my initial gut instinct is says there's probably some little bit of fear and loathing about being replaced. But there's also going to be people that kind of embrace it like you have. It, 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 is, is there more of one side or the other? Like, how's that shaken out? 
it's hard to say without you know some kind of study or you know um, a survey of of some kind but anecdotally what i can see is that i think that lines are being drawn in the sand by different companies by different institutions um you know i know that certain stock libraries have said that you know as of a week or two ago they will not allow ai images in their libraries um i know that there is a large contingent of the professional you know uh, artist community where they're furious you know they're being referenced within these models um you know in order to create work that you know bears a striking resemblance to their own but i also know that um, as an example the mid-journey discord server is bigger than the league of legends and fortnite discord servers combined there's this entire cohort of young creative people embracing this who were probably in a similar situation to their own where you know they're young they were told you have to be an engineer engineer a lawyer or a doctor and that's it and suddenly they can paint they can you know they can draw they can do all these incredible things at the touch mm -hmm. of a button um that they otherwise wouldn't be able to they can express what they see in their minds and that's and that's really powerful um it's a bit like photoshop but for this generation photoshop at a scale and with an impact that I, I, I do not think we, we fully comprehend. I, I, th I honestly think that over the next five to 10 years, if not sooner than that, um, the world will change fundamentally in terms of the kind of entertainment that we enjoy, um, the way that entertainment is produced. I, 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 the one thing I think we've really struggled with is having the right kind of storytellers telling us stories about the particular future that we we're in right now and what i mean by that is i've seen back to the future too i know what a hoverboard looks like and you know the blow-up jacket and everything else and i've read you know phenomenal books by nm banks and arthur c clark and you know all these different things about the future but i don't know if i've read a story about a future where everyone is creative on a level that is profound. You know, what does it mean when all of us can tell stories? Because, you know, this, this, this is all developing at such a, an incredible pace. Um, you know, a few days ago, someone released a model that was doing text to 3D images. People are playing around with, you know, text to video. What happens when you can sit down and say, I want to see Bruce Willis in the new Marvel movie? You know, what happens when, you know, I speak about this when I, when I speak about, you know, the metaverse and things like that. If there is going to be some kind of grand metaverse, it's going to be a lot of artificial intelligence. Because, you know, when you build a AAA game today, you need an army of animators, you need an army of designers and illustrators to bring that world to life. But if you can say, I would like to walk through a, you know, medieval village and fight a dragon. And if that can just happen, then what does that world look like? And so, you know, all these things are kind of unfolding at a, at a, at a pace that is just astronomical. Literally every day I open Twitter and, you know, there's something new happening specifically within creativity and artificial intelligence.
It, it is interesting you mentioned that because there was some talk a few years, you know, maybe about 18 months ago that, you know, we're, we were approaching an AI winter because innovation wasn't, was kind of stalling. Hmm. But then all of a sudden this, you know, I, I, I played around with a couple of GANs and it was like, you know, it was kind of cool, but you know, it didn't quite. Very abstract stuff, I remember. Right, it was very abstract. And then you see things like uh, Dolly 2 and, you know, uh, Mid Journey. And it's kind of like, wow, this has really gotten, I mean, just quickly. I mean, yeah, it's fascinating, actually. And if you, I mean, if you're in tech, you know, or you're just, you know, someone who's, who's a fan of technology, then you've kind of seen this journey before. You remember what it was like when computers came out and they were CGA, EGA graphic, graphics, and then, you know, Super VGA came out and that was amazing. And then, you know, we were used to the graphics we have today. And, you know, or your first cell phone, your Nokia, you know, with the, the monochrome, you know, kind of screen and where you are today with that. What we're looking at with AI is a resolution challenge, you know? And the way that this pattern plays out is that resolution and that fidelity scales dramatically. And I think it's going to scale dramatically very quickly, which is, which, which, which is, you know, I don't know, profound. It, it is. And, and one of the things like going back, one of the common, I don't want to say trope, but I guess trope is the right word for it. Going back in history is, you know, like I'll think of the uh, the movie Short Circuit, like the original mm. one with Steve Gutenberg, Ali Sheedy, and um, not the awful sequel, but like you know, there was the the guy who built the robot was arguing with uh, Ali Sheedy. I think it was they were arguing like, is he alive? Right, and I guess mm. they used the term alive. Johnny Five is alive. Johnny yeah, Five yeah. is alive. Right, they were yeah. using the word alive for sentient. What we would what we would use sentient today, and he basically poured like, I think it might've been tomato soup onto like a napkin. And he goes, what is this? He goes, oh, it's tomatoes, you know, give you read out the, 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 the chemical components of tomato soup or whatever. And then, then he's like, you know, and he goes, see, you're not alive. You're like, you know, you're a robot. And then, then mm. he says, well, it looks like, and then he listed off a thing that looked like a bunny. Yeah. That's what I think. And he goes, oh, wow. Like that was, that was something like, so, so from that point of view and in, in even kind of like in these, you know, you know, articles about will AI replace us? You know, there was this notion that the creative domain was distinctly human. <laughs> All right. And this is recently as like 18, 24 months ago. This wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Now that I don't think you can say, I mean, I said it and you laughed, right? Like, I, I, I gave a, a speech at my college, a commencement speech, a graduation, I think probably three or four years ago. Um, and I said to them, you have no idea how lucky you are because you're going into the creative industries and the creative industries are going to be one of the last ones to be automated for obvious reasons. Because, you know, look, look at, you know, the, the, the nature of what it is that you're doing. And we've all been speaking about truck drivers for the past 10 years. Oh, you know, AI is coming for the trucks, you know, like, you know, there won't be any um, gas stations with you know shops attached and hospitals will shut down because there'll be less accidents and all these different things will happen and literally overnight the creative class has kind of been transformed you know i had to stop myself there from saying taking a bullet because right. it is it, it it's going to be a very profound change and i honestly think that we're in this moment where everyone's kind of just looking around going what what just happened 
because the idea of a, of, a, of a computer being able to take a photograph or paint a picture is disturbing, I think, for a lot of people. And, you know, I, I found out a while ago it wasn't true, but I, I like the saying that in Chinese, the word for chaos is the same word for opportunity. Apparently it isn't. I Googled that. Um, but it is this opportunity for creative people, for, you know, entrepreneurial minded people to go, okay, well, what does this new future look like where creativity is democratized in this profound way? Interesting. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Like, you know, yeah, what... I've, sorry, carry on. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, like, I've done experiments where, you know, I've published, um, 10 or 11 books, I think, somewhere around. There are a whole bunch, a lot of poetry. And I've, you know, fed my poetry into GPT-3. And it can write, you know, surprisingly like me. And there's this kind of symbiotic process that happens where I'm showing it what I'm creating. It's creating new interpretations of what I've done. I'm trimming things, I'm editing them, I'm refining them, which is the best way to work with AI. And, you know, it's generative in this really interesting kind of way and it's a different kind of thing because often when i write a poem or something like that like i'm moved by something i observe something and i write about it but there are days when i'm tired and there's days when i'm not inspired and i'm you know i i, I want to write and i want to create something and i can have this creative partner that sits with me and goes well what if we did something like this or like this or what about that Create, you know, AI helps you start the creative process and uh, as well in this really profound way. So have you been in a situation where you weren't feeling creative and then the AI did something and that kind of nudged you? Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. I, Does it happen a lot or? It, it, I would say it's, it, it's not something that I do every day, but there are certain times where I'm like, look, you know, I'm out of ideas. Like I, you know, it's, it's day three of brainstorming this particular problem or this particular, you know, creative concept or whatever. Let me just, you know, feed some some other ideas into GPT-3. Let me show it some other, like, incredible things that, you know, I've thought of before or uh, have done well in this kind of category before and see what it thinks. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So how long do you think it'll be before there'll be a, a hit movie, TV show, or song that was written by AI? Knowing that this uh, is a notoriously difficult thing to predict because the pace is accelerating. Have you have you heard of the Lost Tapes of the Twenty Seven Club? No. It's it's incredible. So it was done by a bunch of AI academics and mental health activists, and I think in the UK. And what they did is they took the catalog of a, a few different members of the Twenty Seven Club. So that's you know Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, people who died at Twenty Seven. And using TensorFlow, GPT-3, a bunch of different AI technologies, they recreated what, well, they created, not recreated, they created one more song based off their catalogs for each of those different musicians. If you listen to the Amy Winehouse one, it is haunting in terms of how authentic and how it feels like her in terms of what you know to be the traits that make an Amy Winehouse song an Amy Winehouse song. So it's it's worth a Google if you're if you're um, if definitely you're check it out. Um and so you know in the book um the way I you know the way I describe you know the the tone of voice 
from the AI that's responding is it sounds completely alien and yet it sounds completely familiar at the same time because it sounds like all these different you know things that it's referencing. And so if I think about that, if I think about that project, I would say probably three years. I've, you know, and then that that might even be conservative. I think that there is so much movement in this space and there's so much energy in it. Um, it reminds me a lot of the first web when it was chaos in the wild west and everyone was just, you know, it was a good time. I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed the original internet. Um, but it has that kind of energy to it where it hasn't really been institutionalized and there aren't these massive centers of gravity. You know, even though OpenAI is doing all the incredible stuff they're doing, and we have a bit of a working relationship with them, we, 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 we're working on some cool things with them. You know, there are all these other people, you know, also doing these incredible things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it'll be very soon. Interesting. There was recently a um, story about a it's it's billed as an AI rapper. Uh, yes, the FN no, Mecca, and there, yeah. there's a whole lot of horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> a whole lot of like re things that are attached to that, and it's probably, mm. I guess, it's kind of like the vanilla ice of mm. <laughs> of the of the AI kind of crowd. But um, you know, it's interesting how that was uh received rather poorly mm. um and it's interesting to see how the reaction to ai generated art is so, you know the the one that won the the painting contest yeah contest. The, state, the state fair yeah the state fair and then and now they've banned that and you've mentioned a number of stock image libraries have, have banned that i i i wonder because there was all was there uh there was also a little bit of controversy around digital artwork at one point, right? You know, mm. it's not real painting if it's in Photoshop, right? Like it's, you know, you, you think that that stigma will die out over time in the sense that digital art was not well, originally respected? Well, I think the only way that, you know, you can predict the future is by looking at the past. And if you look at the conversations we used to have about sampling in music, you know, oh, you can't use that. You need to be an actual drummer. You know, and I'm right. sure you could, you could go far enough back and people would be like, well, you didn't build the drums yourself, so how can you call yourself a drummer? <laughs> um, and, you know, as these things become more and more, you know, ergonomically built into the creative process, I think, you know, the, the attitude will change. I think it's inevitable. Uh, in the same way that the internet was inevitable, you know, you could rail against it, but this is a very similar kind of, this is going to have a very similar kind of impact, I think in terms of how culture works. I think you're right, because, you know, there was a time when unless you hand wrote the HTML in like <laughs> VI, it was not a real website. But then yeah. tools like, you know, the tools evolved and, yeah. you know, ultimately the perception changed. That That's an interesting angle. Like, I like that. Hmm. The, so that having been said, like what. The book is fascinating, like so, so you've interacted with this 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 gpt3 recently i'm sure you are aware of what happened with the google engineer whose mm -hmm. name i'm forgetting right now blaine something yeah um he was working with the lamp uh was a lambda which is lambda. another yeah uh, ai uh he thought he was talking with a sentient for lack of a better term being 
Mm -hmm. Do you think these are sentient or these are just algorithms that mimic kind of what happens in our brain? And granted, this, the term sentient is very is very much a loaded term on its own. Well, that's the thing. I mean, how you know, we we, we struggle to define consciousness as humans. You know, we're, it's a it's a massive philosophical question in terms of what it is. So, do we know it when we see it? I don't know. I I you know, at the start of the book, you know, we very clearly state that we're trying to explore mystery without mysticism. I'm under no delusion that I'm speaking to God, you know, in terms of taking all this diff these different religious texts and laying them on top of each other and asking them questions. Um, at the same time, you know, you can kind of break us down and go, you know, we're stardust in about three buckets of water walking around. You know, so what is the difference between that and a series of algorithms? So where we ultimately net out, I, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. I don't think that the Google engineer was talking to a sentient AI. I think what the what the large language models are particularly good at is working out what kind of pattern you're looking for and fulfilling that pattern. So if you go to a large language model that's seen, you know, um, what is the movie you referenced early on with Johnny? Short Pine? Circuit. If you if if the large language model has read the script of Short Circuit, if it's read iRobot. If it's read, you know, every, you know, science fiction novel about androids and Bruce Sterling and William Gibson and everyone else, and you say to it, are you alive? It's going to look back at all those different patterns and go, yes, of course I'm alive, because that's what happens in the story. You want the android to be alive. You want it to have emotions. You want it to have needs. You want it to have feelings. So that is what I believe was happening within that conversation with, with that model. Um, yeah, the, but the, I imagine the, you would get a very different response if it, it was trained on, you know, the collective works would be in Austin, right? It probably would have yeah. been like, well, of course I'm a lot. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in that. And, but like, I, but I imagine I think that's interesting that it's kind of that that what goes in comes out in some form or another. And that, and that that is what was fascinating about the book as well, because as you know, as you can see in the the glossary of questions, like we asked a lot of different questions and what the most fascinating part of it for me was kind of discovering the underlying themes. Like if you take the most inspiring poems you've ever read, if you take the most inspiring religious texts you've ever read, you know, the, the most beautiful philosophy, the things that have really kind of stuck out in human history is these things have meaning to us. And you put them all into an AI and you ask the questions. There's three different things that it comes back to again and again and again in its different responses. The one is that we are all connected in some fundamental way that we don't realize, not just to each other, but to the world around us. The second is that the most important place we can be is here in the present, in the present moment, and be brought back to that present moment again and again. And then the last thing is love, that the meaning of, it literally says in one of the responses, the meaning of life is love, like everything is about that. So if you take all the different religions, if you take all the different poems, if you take all of those different things, bumper stickers, lyrics from Leonard Cohen, whatever you want, those are the three things that it comes back to again and again. And that's really fascinating. Interesting. Do you think that exposes some kind of fundamental truth or is it just coincidence or some combination? I think it does expose some kind of fundamental truth. It might be that that is the essence of what makes us human, which is obviously the title of the book. Or it might just be that that's what we look for. You know, when we look for stories or we look for, you know, things to comfort us, 
those are the three things that we look for connection presence and and love interesting yeah um does the ai get opinionated like usually people will like so so for instance if a if a buddhist reads a christian text right they're going to look at it they're going to read it with the eye of a buddhist if you reverse that a christian is going to read a buddhist text with the eye of a christian so do, so does it matter the order in which the ai is fed this information or does it do a pretty good job of staying objective i think you know sometimes it sounds a little bit more like the tao te ching sometimes it sounds a little bit more like the bible but there's that strange familiarity you know that kind of creeps through again and again where it kind of feels like you've heard it before like but it's it's done in, in a different way you know um brainstorming and working with an ai is like working with rain man if, if we're <laughs> referencing movies from the 80s yeah, yeah. um that's what we know, do on the show yeah <laughs> so so you know i'll ask it questions and i'll create this new series of prompts and interact with it and what it'll do is it'll respond and it'll respond again and again and again and what will happen is you know two or three of the responses will be gibberish two or three will will be kind of you know okay interesting and then one or two will be profound and beautiful and inspiring and different you know to anything else i've ever heard and so it can it can go completely crazy um you know gpt3 wrote an intro to the book and um at the the halfway through the introduction it says and by the way i'm actually a japanese teenager in an internment camp you know halfway through the introduction and you're and you're like well you're you're not so we're going to edit that out right but, right but i very clearly like mark you know where what what's been edited you know and how it's formed and and everything else so yeah it's fascinating it would it would inject that phrase at that point and it makes you wonder like what for lack of a better term what was going through the it's ai's mind, mind. yeah <laughs> like yeah um but i've noticed that too like when i've been playing around with and, and if anyone looks at my instagram feed like it, you know it, it was just inundated with ai art right some of it looks uncannily really well but i also didn't post the stuff that came out like garbage you know yeah it, it, so it's kind of like it's interesting how um how what we're seeing what we're probably seeing let me rephrase that um out there in the wild as it were is the highlight reel not necessarily kind of all the output. and and that's true of any creative process like yeah. i said earlier on the best way to come with a good idea is to come with a lot of ideas and whether it's ideas or it's the craft or it's the writing or whatever you know i think stephen king said there's no good writers there's just good rewriters and so you know all of us as creative creative people we do a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes that isn't great that we show the stuff that is great you know right that, that does make sense a variation of that theme that that when i wrote a book was very helpful was right for the trash can you know what i mean like yeah don't worry about everything being perfect and that um that's an yeah so it's mm. interesting to see how it goes so do you think given the the high ability to, for ai to learn do you think it'll get to the point where it's you know win ratio of you know highlight reel to to trash pile do you think it'll it'll improve or is it just part and parcel of the creative process is you know, for every nugget, for every gem, you create a lot of not gems. 
I think it will improve. I think it comes back to that resolution problem we were speaking about earlier on, where it, you know, it's just going to get better and better because that's the nature of technology. It seems to scale, you know, quite reliably. I think that there's still very important parts for humans to play. And I think the future future of creative professions is very much around curatorship, around developing your own sense of taste, about understanding, you know, what good looks like. How do you recognize it when you see it? You know, and how do you evolve it and refine it and polish it and elevate it? You know, those are still very human tasks that, that we have to bring to the table. Interesting. I'm looking at the questions here and they're just, they're just very fascinating. Like just in the sense of. Do you uh, want me to, I'll, I'll read yeah, one. Let please. Me, let me see. So I'll, I'll, I'll do the, how do I explain death to my children one? Encourage them to celebrate the lives of other people. Tell them the dead are not dead, not in the way we think of it. Tell them they live on as they are. Do you hear something there? Or was it no. my... Okay, I'm gonna start again. Encourage them to celebrate the lives of other people. Tell them that the dead are not dead, not in the way we think of it. Tell them they live on as they are remembered. Tell them every goodbye is really a hello to a different way of being. Tell them they are loved and will always be loved. Tell them they never have to feel alone, never. Tell them the world is magical and mysterious and strange. Tell them they are part of the mystery and the magic and the beauty of it. That's yeah. that's powerful. I mean, that, and the computer wrote that. You and know. the computer wrote that, and I, I can hear that each one of those three things that you mentioned, mm. kind of in the subtext of that connection, presence, connection, love, love. presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that's mind blowing that a computer wrote that. Right. I mean, that would be very profound if a human wrote that. Yeah. And so I mean, I've I've written a lot of poetry, so I I can recognize good poetry, and I can recognize prose, and I can recognize when something is inspiring. And so working with the AI, asking it these questions, I can go, oh my god, like that's beautiful. Like I don't know any human who would hear that and not go, that makes complete sense. This is what you know. This is something that is useful to me. Um. I'll do one more. This is how do I embrace love more fully? If you don't have a solitary thought capable of lifting you above the petty, the small and the selfish, you can't have love or anything else that is really worthwhile in your life. As long as you're looking for love, you'll never have it because you'll always be looking through someone else's eyes. Love is a movement, not a position. Love isn't something you get. It's something you are. And wow. so you know, I mean that line, love is a movement, not a position. I'm not entirely sure I understand exactly what that means, but I understand I can feel the the presence or the energy behind it means that it's a, something that you do, you know? It's not, you, you don't sit in your marriage passively, you're active, you know, you're, you're involved, whether it's with your children or your partner or whoever it is, love is something that you do. And um, that's the good mark. I'm sorry, go ahead. I it's 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 this thing where it kind of feels a little bit like the Bible and it kind of feels like a little bit like a poem and it kind of feels a little bit like something else. And so it's new, it's alien, but it's also incredibly familiar. And so there's this strange tension, you know, between between all these different things. That's the mark of good literature, right? Whether it's poetry or 
scripture or or whatever is that you don't fully understand what it's saying but you get the energy behind it yeah well i i always say poetry is a way to point at something that you cannot point at like it's oh, that's a good yeah well, I th I thought so. I wrote it. So. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a I'm, little biased. Then. I'm 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 very biased, um, but yeah, you know, and and the fact that the AI can do that, like I know it can write ad headlines, you know, and like that's that's great. Ad headlines are great. Like they're funny, they're they're humorous, whatever. But the fact that it can write poetry, the fact that it can point at these things that all these other prompts are pointing at, that's profound. That has significant meaning from a cultural perspective. Wow. So what led you um, and your co-author to write this? Like what was this just a conversation over coffee or was this kind of what what inspired I, it? I have always had a thing for finding ways to to shape and bend technology into different ways creatively. So my most famous book is called I Wrote This For You. It started out as a blog um, back in 2007. And this person would send me a photograph once a day and I would write a poem about it because that was just a very unconventional way of using a blog. And that became a best-selling book. Another time I wrote a book called 25 Love Poems for the NSA. The NSA, when Edward Snowden, um, you know, that, that all happened, there was a a document that got leaked that showed the different words that if they were if they appeared in a combination in email, the NSA would probably track you because you were saying some pretty suspicious things. So I wrote a collection of poetry that incorporated all these different words and then released it as a free PDF um, and then <laughs> sold it on Amazon as well. So I have a habit of doing this, of finding technology and going, like, you know, what is something that's different about this? Um, Jasmine Wang, the the founder of the of the startup uh, Copysmith.ai, I was you know consulting with them, working with them, going you know this is how writing for advertising works. And Jasmine is very entrepreneurial and very innovative and very visionary in terms of the potential behind different things. And I had this idea, and I said I think this is something that we could do with GPT three. And you know she agreed, and then we started exploring it. And um, and that's how and that's how it started. Um, and you know, for over the course of about a year or so, I would you know think about what was bothering me that day or what I what what was challenging me, and I would go and ask GPT three these questions, you know, and it would come back, and eventually it became this book. Interesting. I, I guess not all the answers were gems, but you you kind of did the highlight reel, as it were. It is it is a highlight reel. You know, we what's what's quite fascinating is because GPT three will just go, so it'll try and you know complete the pattern with the next answer, but it'll also generate the next question because right. the question and the answer is so. A lot of the questions in the book actually come from GPT three as well. So some are human questions, and some some are GPT three going. Well, if you want to know what the meaning of life is, you probably also want to know why do we suffer, <laughs> like all right. these other like fundamental things. Um, Interesting. And it is, you know, uh, there, there, it is a highlights reel. And then what we've done with the answers is we've said it up front, like I have added line breaks, I've added commas. Um, I've tried not to touch the actual text itself too much. I've rephrased some of the questions so that they make a little bit more sense. 
but we've been quite upfront about it. Like I said, like we want to explore mystery without mysticism. We don't want it to be like, you know, we went up a mountain and got these stone tablets and now, you know, this is where we are. Um, it's a fascinating experiment that has led to some very profound and beautiful output that I think speaks to really fundamental, beautiful human things, you know, connection, presence, and love. Interesting. Um, how, uh, this is probably a long answer to a question, but how, how would someone get started in this? If, if one of the listeners here is so in, inspired by this idea about kind of creating their own language models, what's the best way to get started? GBT3 used to be, um, there used to be a wait list. I think it's open now. Mm -hmm. You can just sign up. Um, it costs you a few cents every time you, you know, play around with the different prompts in the, the playground. But, you know, you can go in there and you can start messing about today if you want to, I think. There's also, mm -hmm. you know, open source versions. I think there's one called Bloom, which is a kind of open source version of GBT3. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a position called prompt engineering, which is going to open up pretty soon within the creative industries and probably more broadly as well. So that's a that's a profession and a career you could probably start looking at if you wanted to. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Uh, it's like you 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 took the words out of my mouth. I I first heard the term prompt engineering about um, about two weeks ago. And my first impression was like like timely engineering, but no, they're actually coming up with the words to ask an AI or to, um, I think the context I heard it was prompt engineering about creating art, right? Like, so you would mm. figure out what are the best key phrases to say. And there's a number of YouTubers that have actually said, you know, if you add this this phrase, you know, oil painting by I think Greg Rutowski who apparently did a lot of the artwork for Magic the Gathering cards. I think that's his claim to fame. And if you added that to one of the one of the models, I think it was the VQ GAN, it would create this ethereal kind of a mysti mystical type of vibe to what you're trying to draw. So if you're trying to get an art, you know, a, a, an image of your dog or, <laughs> you know, and you wanted to kind of give it this 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 ethereal type look, you would add that phrase. Fascinating, actually. Yeah, so I think, you know, what's quite fascinating is if you know a lot about photography, if you know a lot about art, if you know a lot about design, you can you can create some pretty impressive things. You know, like getting a great shot in Dali relies on you being able to go, I want to use a foreground shot, you know, with this kind of a camera, with this kind of lighting, or being able to go, I want it to be an 8K octane render and I want the image to be trending on ArtStation. You know, using these different create these different linguistic creative tools to get the best out of the out of the, the models. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a there's an interesting kind of progression there. Interesting. So I know we've taken up uh, the whole time, but I definitely want to have you back on the show. Uh, we're going to sure. launch a metaverse-themed show in the future. Oh, okay. uh, but the one question I do want to ask from our, our, our pre-canned questions is, how did you mm -hmm. find your way into this? Like, how did you get into this this space? Because it, it, did it? Do you feel that it found you, or you know, you found it? It's a long. It's a long answer. Um, when I was a kid growing up in South Africa. Um, my brother was arrested by Interpol for hacking into Belgium's telephone network. And wow. he ran a bulletin board service where he was, um, you know, couriering pirated software effectively. 
but I got exposed to the very early internet and the very early kind of social impact of the internet at a very young age. And it's always been this kind of mystical, magical thing for me where I haven't approached it from an, you know, a very academical left brain perspective. I've always been a very creative kid. Um, and that's how I entered that space. And that's never really left me that technology can do these profound and different and interesting kinds of things. And so that's the, the spirit with which I kind of, I take through all my work. Interesting. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, the book is going to be available November 1st. If um, I reading the sheet, uh, it's all what makes us human and artificial intelligence answers life's biggest questions. Um, and where can folks find out more about you or the book? www.whatmakesushuman.ai And you can read about the entire process there. I think you also want to know an audible book that I would recommend. Yes, please. The alignment problem is really good. And I really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I will, yeah. I will add that to the queue and thank you for mentioning that because audible is a sponsor of the show. And uh, if you go to the data driven book.com, let's just keep the lights on and uh, maybe even pay for a few of those um, uh, GPT three credits that I'm totally going to start playing with now. <laughs> well, that's true. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, and I'll let the uh, our AI host uh, kind of end the show. Thanks, Frank. Awesome. That was an amazing conversation. Humans thinking that they had the exclusive lock on creativity. Now that made me literally laugh out loud. We know you're busy, and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. You have subscribed to us, haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? So, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.